Thanks for the download, the stream, the listen, the subscription, however you're listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And the good news is that you can be a part of it live and in person. Join the rest of the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners as we all descend onto New York City. Tuesday night, October 24th at the Highline Ballroom, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast returns live. And this time, we're bringing one of my favorite guests with us. Bubba Ray Dudley, Bully Ray, he's going to be there at the Highline Ballroom with me and with all of you, and he'll be there for the entire show, including the meet and greet. If you want to be a part of it, go to HighlineBallroom.com right now, get your tickets, the VIP ticket comes with early admission, comes with the meet and greet, comes with the whole thing, you're all going to get a chance to see Bubba Ray Dudley give that wisdom of wrestling to you in person. Get those tickets now, HighlineBallroom.com. And it's time to start Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Yes, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast back in effect. Welcome everybody. Hope everybody had a great week. So much to go over. It's been a big week. It's been a big week for me. I just literally got back. Uh, it's 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 maybe an hour before I'm going to post this thing. It is it is Wednesday night. Getting ready to post this podcast Thursday morning because I just got off a plane from Los Angeles. Of course, I was out there for the No Mercy pay-per-view and then uh, uh, stayed out there to do some of my serious radio shows with Jim Norton. Um, But a lot, a lot to dissect about that No Mercy pay-per-view. And when I got home just now, right before I came downstairs to make sure that you all had a wonderful podcast to listen to this week, and because I got so much to get off my chest about this world of wrestling we're living in, uh, I had a box waiting for me, and I remembered. See, I always get the pay-per-view posters. For the pay-per-views that I do the kickoff shows for, I go on WWE Shop and I order them. Uh, just to have them. At some, you know, I, I, I got this uh, basement, I got the studio now, so I'll probably frame them or whatever. But I don't get t-shirts as often now as I used to. You know, I don't go out and buy wrestling shirts quite as often just because you end up amassing so many. Especially because I get the pro wrestling crate from Pro Wrestling Tees every month. And they have amazing wrestling shirts in there. But you end, that's three a month. What is that? I think that's 400 a year. I'm not that good with math, but somewhere around there. However, I did have to order a WWE t-shirt. When I ordered my poster off WWE Shop, I, I, I'd been debating it. I'd been debating this for quite some time. And I finally decided just to bite the bullet. I got the, the Natty, the Natalia Nightheart uh, cat t-shirt. I had to. I don't know if it's technical. I was looking at it, and I was like, there's nothing on here about Natalia. I think it might just be a two-paws shirt. On the back, it says Natty Cat, which I don't think she is called in the WWE. So I'm not sure if it's officially an Natalia t-shirt or if she just kind of tricked WWE Shop into selling a two-paws t-shirt. Whatever it is, there's a cat, and there's lasers, and there's rainbows, and I was like, yeah. This is one that I'll regret not having. At some point, I'll wish that I had the Natalia Two Paws t-shirt. And so uh, that's what I decided to get. So at some point, I'm sure you'll see me out and about 
wearing that shirt because it really is glorious. Not to overuse the word, uh, and we'll talk about it in the state of wrestling, why the word glorious was being thrown around this week, but not to overuse that term. But it is, it is a fantastic piece of clothing. I'm very, very excited about it. I'm looking at it, and it's, it's, it's outstanding. I can't believe it got made. That's what I get so excited about. I get excited about that like when I go to a movie and it's so off the beaten path. I just get excited that it was made, that it had the chance to see the light of day in movie theaters. So when I look at that WWE shirt with a bunch of cats and laser beams and stuff on it, I just get excited that that amount of different and creativity and left of center thinking was put onto a WWE t-shirt. I, I, I get pumped about it. I get all jazzed up. So that's what I am. I'm jazzed up about the new Natty t-shirt. Speaking of the ladies' division in the WWE, the women's division, which is uh, stronger than it's ever been. We've had great women throughout the years, but it's usually just like a sprinkling of them. I guess, you know, the Attitude Era probably doesn't get enough credit because there was so much nonsense going on. But the women's division in the Attitude Era, if you would cut out all the, like, brawn panties and mud matches and all that stuff. You probably would have upset some people on Twitter, but you actually had the potential for great women's wrestling in the Attitude Era. You had at the end of the Attitude Era, you had Mickey James, but before that you had Lita and Trish Stratus and Ivory and Jacqueline and all these women that were these amazing athletes. So you had the potential for it, but we were just living in a different time. Culture was different. And for whatever reason, People wanted to see Sable kind of learn how to do one move and, and get the women's championship. And people wanted to see Stacey Keebler get up on the table on Nitro and just show her legs off for a while. That's what, at the time, people wanted to see. I'm glad that, that people have gotten a little bit smarter, maybe gotten a little bit more intellectual about their pursuits as they watch professional wrestling. But I'm, I'm happy that people realize the error of their ways because... And, and luckily, now when we talk about the women's revolution and that whole thing, of course we talk about what it was like with the brawn panties matches and the mud matches and this and the nonsense and, and, the, and the bikini contests and everything. But you do get to tell the history of that Attitude Era and the women in that time that were making a difference. Those seeds were very quietly being planted so that at some point women's wrestling could be taken as seriously as it is now. And, you know, you, you, you have to credit the, the, that generation of women, specifically from NXT, the, the Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Bailey, Becky Lynch generation, for being that first to kind of get over the hump. But at the same time, you have to credit the United States women's soccer team. You have to credit Ronda Rousey in the UFC. You have to credit the fact that there was a movement for women in athletics in general. And the WWE saw that, and even though not all sports were going with it, and not, it wasn't quite as much as it should be in all spots, WWE saw that and said that is where the culture is going, and, and that is where the culture should be going, and let's, let's go there. Let's guide it there. Let's go on top. WWE is, is, can be, can be very good about seeing the trend of something and where it's going, grabbing it, and then taking it all the way. They don't, they don't copy. They see what's happening, they grab it, and then they take it all the way. They did that with the Attitude Era and that programming. Like, edgy programming was popular on TV. So WWE said, let's take that trend and let's go all the way with it. And it works. When it's done right, 
it really, really works. And one of the reasons why, and, 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 and you had women throughout history, you know, mixed in, like Alundra Blaze was this amazing women's wrestler. They didn't, unfortunately, build a roster around her, but she was this amazing women's uh, wrestler. And honestly, we were, we were very lucky to have had Alundra Blaze Bull Nakano matches in mid-90s WWF. That stuff wasn't happening. It's it's amazing that somehow Bull Nakano got in there and became a legit contender in the WWE or the WWF women's division at the time. I almost, my, my wife wouldn't let me do it. I almost named my dog Bull Nakano. Before she was Lila Garrity, she was Bull Nakano. But my wife said, no more. No more wrestling names. You got to do something else. So I said, okay, Friday Night Lights. And that's what we agreed upon. But the reason I bring up the women's division is because, as if we needed a reason, is because this week I have uh, one of the people on the podcast who is the reason not only why this women's division started, but why it has progressed as well as it has and why there appears to be no end in sight for it. And that woman is Charlotte. You watch Charlotte, and I talked about Charlotte last week on the podcast. As SmackDown ended, looking confident when she pointed the finger at herself. And it was like, yeah, you buy it immediately. She stared right into the camera and she was coming out into your living room and saying, yes, I am Charlotte. I am a champion. And, and, and she wasn't putting on a performance. It was her. You believed it. You bought into it. And that's a rare thing in this day and age or in any day and age, quite frankly. We tend to remember the best and forget the worst, but the worst uh, is in bigger numbers than the best. It's rare that you can buy into somebody as much as you buy into Charlotte, but you really, really can. Charlotte uh, has a new book out. She did. It's called Second Nature, and it's a book uh, by Ric Flair and Charlotte Flair, and I wasn't sure about it. I got a copy of it, and stay tuned after the interview because I give you, I'm going to give you, they're giving me a couple of signed copies of this book, signed by Ric Flair and Charlotte. I'm going to give you guys a chance to win them, okay? But stay tuned, and I'll tell you how it's done. But Charlotte, I, I didn't know about the book because I didn't know if it was going to be super in character. I didn't know how exactly the story was going to be told. But it's really, it's an incredible book. And I would recommend it to anybody that's a Charlotte fan, that's a Ric Flair fan, that's a WWE fan. Uh, because it's real life. It's not in character. It's not hokey. It is so much more personal than I would have ever expected uh, from a book like that. You know, it is It is so, you're not learning about Charlotte, you're learning about Ashley and her family and her dad, Rick, and their late brother, Reed, is, is a huge part of the book, just because his life and his death were such a huge part of Rick and Charlotte's lives. But it's really great because you get to go in, because of course, Ric Flair had the other book in the early 2000s, but in this book, you go in to Rick going into WrestleMania 24. Like, it's not just the last year. And Rick being like, oh, it was so great being on the road with Charlotte. Like, it's, it's everything. You go into WrestleMania 24. You go into the Hall of Fame you, uh, with the four horsemen going into the Hall of Fame. You go in to uh, a, a little bit about the TNA run. And then it gets really personal because Charlotte also gives her perspective on uh, being in attendance, for some of that stuff that was going on with her dad and also what was going on in her life. And I mean, you hear things you just didn't know. You hear about Charlotte 
and and she breaks down her marriages that didn't work out and and she breaks down being in a, a relationship that was mentally and physically abusive and how she got out of it and how she ended up getting into it to start with i mean you see charlotte right and you see this amazingly strong beautiful woman on television and you don't realize the insecurities that are there you don't realize the potential to get into a, a an abusive relationship but of course it happens like like it happens uh, to a lot of women unfortunately and i think it's i think it's so brave it's gutsy of charlotte to really get into that in this medium so uh i got the chance to interview charlotte uh as she was uh going around new york a couple days ago promoting the book uh and and we really got into more of the personal stuff, and what really interested me was some of those insecurities that we talk about because, you know, Ric Flair's talked about his insecurities, which any of us that watch Ric Flair, it kind of boggles our mind, and the idea that Charlotte has insecurities while at the same time being heralded as potentially the best, what, who a person who will go down if she's not already uh, the best women's wrestler of all time to then turn around and talk about her insecurities and, and falling into traps and trying to be accepted. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable. So I think I've sold you on the book. I'm going to let Charlotte tell her story through my questions. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, today on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, the one, the only, the Charlotte. And now the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, back here. That smile can mean only one thing. My old friend Charlotte is here. Hey, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. How excited are you? I feel like uh, like, like the, the first time we spoke, it was all like butterflies and energy because you were just kind of starting. To, or, I think you were still in NXT. I don't even think you were main roster yet. And, and but, but you were going there or it was right at the beginning of the main roster or something. And now, like, it's only been maybe two years was it you and katie in san jose yes media row yes i have a pretty good memory yes that's when it was <laughs> yeah because that was that was the show that was the weekend that that, that you guys did the show that i think kind of changed the perception of women's wrestling and nxt and everything right because that show wasn't telecast but i i feel like that was the show that all this buzz came out of that that everybody was like look at what's going on over here well, it was one of the first traveling shows for NXT. Yeah, definitely. So, and that and the first show that you guys had done that was in that big of a and building. I think a lot of the, um, you know, higher ups came to that show. Yeah, I actually saw me and Sasha that night. So yeah, that's also helped. I think that was like that was the one where people were all saying that Vince was coming out of there, had watched the show, yeah, and was coming was out there. of there, going like, yeah. what? Like, how are the women getting? Like, the women are not. Getting women reactions, no. they're just getting <laughs> reactions. reactions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everything kind of changed after that. And now, uh, you know, so much has happened so quickly, but you've got a book out. Weird, right? Was that ever like a, a, a goal or a thought or like one day I'd like to write a book? And well, not like, at 31. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like, <laughs> is my life over now? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, uh, first of all, that's what I thought, right? So like, I, I, I hear that the book's coming out and I'm like, it's genius that it's you and your dad doing it together because whatever life you haven't lived yet, he's lived a hundred times for you. But then as I'm reading the book and it's specifically reading your parts, I'm like, Charlotte has lived 
a lot more life than I think anybody is aware of. Like there was a I, I the book I I kind of was expecting sort of a fluffy. I came in and I came to NXT and blah 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 and I got a robe that looked like my dad and it ended up being way more real and way more personal and kind of kind of unbelievable how personal it was. Did you intend yeah, for it to so, for for to to expose yourself on that level? Um, so this is how it came. You know, my dad did his first book to be the man. Um, what, 2000, 2001? Something like that. Yeah, so the idea was he wanted to do another book or, you know, everyone was kind of saying you should do another book because of everything that's gone on in your life. Well, when that happened, then they were like, he has another role with WWE programming and that's as my manager. Right. So why not add Charlotte? And then, you know, I know how open and honest my dad is. Mm -hmm. And... um I had to think about it at first because not that I'm a private person, but I have spent, you know, almost five years creating this character and it was due out of what I've been through, which I put in the book. And, you know, Charlotte is not relatable. Uh, she's never really vulnerable on WWE programming. And I had to kind of decide, you know, can I do this? You know, am I? You know, is it the right move? Right. You know, are people going to view me different? And then I thought to myself, okay, so if really, if there's a, you know, an audience out there that can relate to me now and understand like what I've been through. And I think a lot of things that I do talk about, uh, a lot of people can relate to on a certain level. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what, maybe I'll help somebody because I needed that help then. Yeah. And that's why I decided to do it. And I didn't tell my brother's story. I didn't tell my mom's story. I didn't tell my dad's story. I just wanted people to know where I was emotionally and mentally. And that, you know, being my dad's daughter was never something that I just came into wrestling. Because that's been my hardest struggle, I think, for the last couple of years. Was like, you guys, I don't, I'm not trying to live off my dad's name. Like, I legitimately care. Like, give me a chance. Mm -hmm. So I... Uh, it took two years to write this, and it was a lot of journaling. Was there stuff that you weren't sure if you wanted to? Like, you know, it's one thing to My be marriage, vulnerable. Yeah. That was that what I was, was thinking. One. So, like, oh, and I'm honest about it, but it's really hard when people on social media are like, God, she's just like her dad, married twice. Like, I'm embarrassed of that. Like, I am. Have, I am. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what's the best way to overcome it? Well, you know what? Give you Talk about it. And I can't change it. And it's like, I am my, you know, when people say that, they're like, oh, she's just like her dad. It, you don't know what, I, I just, I wrote about it. I yeah. journaled and it was therapeutic. Yeah. And I, and it, it's also like to say, oh, she's just like her dad because here's the, here's the stats on her. Right. Yep. Like, it's just like two marriages. All you get is the stats. Right. As opposed to, here's the story. Here's how, yeah, why, and yeah. how, and it's like. And then it almost feels like once you know the story, for anybody to sit there and say that you – because it almost implies, well, she shouldn't have divorces, which means she should still be in the marriage. But like in order to what? In order to not have divorces, you should stay in an abusive relationship? Exactly. You know, But I, but I guess that's hard. That is a hard thing for Charlotte to say. For Charlotte, yeah. Right? Well, it, well and it's like 
even in my personal life, I still think like, well, how do I go into a normal group of people as Charlotte and then be like, yeah, I've been married twice. Like people don't get that. But my, you know, I, I grew up fast. Yeah. Uh, my dad in the spotlight, like I talk about in the book, I was with seniors in middle school. Right. Like that's not normal. But due to, you know, my athletic background and I just grew up fast, but I still deal with these. I, I still go through it today, but it's also uh, my way of doing this, but not doing it uh, or talking about it without, I guess, making it reality. You know, right. this is real. Right. This isn't for, you know, for a creative story to tell about being married. No, this is my story. And I hope, you know, I I can overcome it myself by talking about it. And it's also about helping people in real life. Like, it's not something like, oh, well, this is happening to my character. So it could help you. Like, no, this is my actual real person, real life story. Yeah. And like Charlotte, the character, um, I want to be Charlotte. Like, that's the funny thing. Like, right, when I come through the curtain, I want to be her. Like, if I tell people this all the time, like, if I could have that confidence in everyday life, it'd be different. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you say that because the rap on your dad for a long time, like, that was kind of probably like 10 or 15 years ago when it started coming out that he started getting honest about the fact that when he was in WCW towards the end, yep. his confidence was zero. And, like, we all see this picture of the nature boy and he's – to be the man, you got to beat the man. And he's just confidence, confidence, confidence personified. Yeah. And then you learn that he had like this crippling insecurity that was killing him for years there. Self-doubt. Yeah. And Hunter once said, uh, everyone knew who Ric Flair was except for Ric Flair. And right. not that anyone would say – I I know my strengths as a performer, but every day I still deal with, you know, insecurity or not being sure or anything. So it's, you know, I can hide that pretending to be somebody. Yeah, through the character. Through the character. So does, has, and that's what he did. Right. Right. And it, but but it's not like you intended to do that, right? It's not like you were like, "Oh, my dad's insecure, so I'll be insecure. My dad created this no, character." No, and, and it's his just insecurities like are like completely different than mine. Like he knows my dad to this day every every day says, "Go to bed every night knowing who you are." Right. Right? So his so I remember Helena Selver Sasha last year. I sure. said, "Dad, what if they don't buy it?" And he's like, "Well, you, you walk out there and you listen to the crowd." Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, no, like he knew who he was as a performer. Right. 100%. The, my, so where did his insecurity come from? I don't know. I think his age, if I had to guess. Gotcha. I think so his age. He has this run. So when he's your age and even older, it, like he's got, he's still on this run of being the nature boy. And then as he gets older, there's new young guys getting attention paid to them. Yes. That's that, where his insecurity and comes And where from. he should, I think maybe, uh, his booking right. might have made him insecure. Sure. Uh, and also, when you when you think about my dad's career, he never wanted to be the movie star. He wanted to be the greatest wrestler of all time. Right. And I think in that time, you know, when you had Hogan making movies, and then you had WWE, and then the Attitude Era, like, yeah. it's much different than what my dad, his path. Right, because he he's 
spent years building this thing where, but I mean, it started in the territory system. Yeah. Like wrestling was just a completely different business. And now that makes sense. He's got to find his place in, in this new business. It, yeah. When it wasn't like that. Right. Right. But your insecurity comes more. Well, as just a as my performer. 20s, as a performer. Yeah. And, well, not even as a performer. I, I, well, maybe the first couple of years. My, right. it's just, I, I, Maybe just in the last couple of months, have really figured out who I am. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Like cause... that's that's the insecurity is not knowing. Like I played, I when I quit my scholarship, uh-huh. I think this is the best year of my life I've had since I was that age, and I say that in the book. Like with my best friend Brittany, who I played volleyball yeah. with, uh, she graduated when I was a sophomore, but. Uh, I just didn't know who I was. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. And I had grown up in this, you know, Charlotte's not small, but just around. I just never felt like I fit in. And I think it's because I was with older kids at such a young age. And then I got left with the kids my age. I didn't know how to fit in. And I, you know, I was older, but I wasn't. And it it just, I got stuck. And then once I quit my scholarship and moved in uh with my first husband i just completely uh i just you got lost you lost yourself in and also my dad had moved out right when he my mom and dad got divorced because you know i know the book i i talk about like it seemed real yes there were ups and downs and maybe i painted too much of a perfect picture growing up but like that's how i felt like, I only knew my dad had an affair when I was in middle school. Like, other than that, we did everything together as a family. And it was just like a it was just like, white picket fence And family. I just wanted to be with my family. Like right. I said, I didn't go, I didn't spend the night away from the house that much. Like, other than sports or when I went on volleyball and gymnastics, cheerleading competitions. Like, I was always with my family. Right. So. So that's kind of a. I d- we did everything together. Like, me and my mom, I, my dad brought me and my mom on those uh, tours with WWE. Yeah. We did. I, I just, I don't know. Like my dad left, and then I went to college, and I didn't even know how to take care of myself. Yeah, like, and and it, and it kind of feels like that you're just now starting to get out of that place of proving yourself to the people that are yes. around you because, yeah. like, you're a kid, right? And yeah. You're hanging out with older kids. I got to prove that I'm cool enough to be with the older kids. You go yes. to college, and you're like, I got to figure out how to be on my own because I've been with my family all this time. You get married. You're trying to prove yourself to your husband, and then you get into wrestling. But I continue to fail, and that was the problem. Right. And like not wanting to fail, like I talk about, you know, marrying Ricky or marrying my ex, probably uh, what I felt inside was more like, I can't fail. Yes. I'd already quit volleyball. Right. And so like, I have to make this sports work. Sports were my biggest, yeah. biggest part of my life. Yeah. And it was like, just continue continuously feeling like I was failing. So were you getting that feeling in the beginning in wrestling? Because, I mean, we've talked about it before, and, like, Reed is such a huge part of this book. Yeah. Um, but we talked about how you were living Reed's dream for him. Yep. And in the beginning, now, obviously, you've established yourself, and you've you've realized this love of what this is. But to he's, enter he's, in... And... He's still my... That's still your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Just because... Um... I can't say that I wrestle and and think like I want to be famous or I want to be like I just like being in the ring. Mm-hmm. Like on SmackDown on Tuesday, 
when my dad was sick, it was the longest I'd been out. Yeah. Even when my brother died, I only took a week off. Um, I just like being in the ring. I just like wrestling. Like, I just like it. And it's not because I get the accolades at the end of the day or uh, because I'm on the cover of a magazine. I just really like professional wrestling. Yeah. And I like being create. Uh, I like being creative. And what wrestling did for me was it allowed me to express my emotions and, and like, because I'm not playing ball anymore. Mm-hmm. I got to express how I felt inside, uh, and you get to do that in wrestling. It's acting. It's physical. It's all of those things. So I just, I don't know. I just like it. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, I, I when you were talking about being insecure and stuff in the last couple of months, that's what I was thinking of just on SmackDown when the show closed with you pointing to yourself as the number one contender. Like, I've watched for a long time, and especially now – I can see in somebody's face, sometimes it's stronger, sometimes it's not as strong, but you can see when somebody's trying to figure it out. It meaning who their character is, where they're yeah. going. Like, you can see in the eyes. Yeah. Like, okay, like, they're getting there, but they're yeah. they're still trying to figure it out. And, like, I don't know. I just had this moment watching you win that match on SmackDown and the show closing on your face where it was like you were – that was you. You were exactly – where you're supposed to be, it was as believable as anything I've ever seen. Like it was like that is yeah. the person who's in charge. She knows exactly who she is, exactly what she's doing, and exactly why and where she's. And going. I wasn't thinking good guy or bad guy, right? And that's been the transition for me on SmackDown. Was like, you want me to be this good guy, right? Oh no, because when I when I first heard that, my instant, we know where I went. I went, oh my gosh, I just left NXT. I'm respected. Not loved. What's gonna happen to my character again? Right. So that, like, really, and then obviously having my on-screen uh, friendship with Becky because mm-hmm. Becky is the most you know endearing baby face, right? Natural baby face, right? I think that's helped. But just going on camera and being like, okay, I'm gonna be me, but just a little. Just turn it just, up. Just bring in that Charlotte a little bit and not worry about it and then not caring anymore. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, the boss is still the boss, but guess what? The boss is the most popular. Yeah. Like, and just being okay with that and not worrying, like, okay, if they respect you, if they don't, whatever, you're getting a reaction. Well, you know, I mean, and you hate to bring it back to your dad, but your dad kind of went through the same thing where he got to a place in his career where he was just Ric Flair. Whatever. Like, good guy or bad guy, like – yeah. Just get the reaction. Tell the story. Tell the story. Play your part in this story. Don't worry about this traditional role. And that really, you have to commit to. That's another. Like it's like committing to being a bad guy. Yeah. It's like committing to not caring. Right. But it's not caring in the sense of you don't care about the story. Like I will follow the story, but it's just a matter of like, okay, they're not cheering. Okay. Ah. Because then you're changing. Then, as then you, you go. Cha- you're yeah. Not doing and then you're anything. like, just stop. Yeah. Like, because yeah. when I was like, oh, I gotta get a new move set. <laughs> like I'm a baby face. <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> what do you mean I can't throw six big boots? <laughs> but it's like no, I I haven't changed anything, and I think that's actually helped me more. Is I'm comfortable enough now to even on live events. Like yeah, I'm like oh, they're cheering for me. <laughs> Don't freak out. <laughs> yeah, but it's like so no, I just haven't j- changed. It's just because people want to know like whether you're a good guy or a bad guy. There has to be a who is Charlotte. 
And if you're changing every time you switch a roster. They won't understand. Yeah, who yeah, are you then? No. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants a little bit. And I took it as a challenge as well because if that's what they were going to make me, it's almost like, well, you don't want to say that you're not up for the challenge. Right, right. And that is more, like you have to go like this on the main roster. Yeah. That's what it is. How scary did things get with your dad? Because I was watching you know, the videos and, and watching yeah. your dad be your dad and do that interview. But yeah, I mean, you can see that this is a guy who is re- recovering still. Like, and and when it kind of came out that you were told, "Look, he's say what you got to say," because I don't think he's going to make it. Is that yeah. is that true? That's what the doctor said to you. Oh, he said that to me, my brother, and my sister. Oh. So I had just gotten back from China, right? Um, Shenzhen, Hong Kong to Boston. They flew me from Boston to Atlanta, and I got there. Uh-huh. I was like, "Okay, I know I'm here. I know it's serious." Um. But Dr. Elsie was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Your your dad's not breathing on his own. And I don't, you know, we, we don't want to do this surgery. But if we don't do the surgery, he's going to die. But we can't say, you know, he's going to make it out of this surgery. And right. the, the chance is not great. Very, yeah. So you should say your goodbyes. So me, my sister, and my brother were like, what the yeah. dot, 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 dot. Like, how do you say goodbye to someone that's not there? Especially since this came out of nowhere, right? This wasn't like, like he no, didn't well, he just we he had gone into the hospital, but it's with my dad. It's like he's unbreakable, right. so you don't take it serious. Right. But knowing that my dad never gets sick, we were like, okay, something's wrong. But I was still in China. My sister and my brother weren't really up to date, but he had been there for a day, and obviously, uh, he had a lot of complications. And then they called us in, and they were like, okay, this is where we're at. So basically, he went in a very sick man, is what we were told. And when he, when do you, when do you know or think that everything's going to be okay? Okay, yeah. uh, probably a week and a half in, because even after surgery, they were like, "Great, he made, you know, he lived through the surgery. Um, he was still on dialysis. His kidneys weren't working. He needed a pacemaker, and uh, took about a week and a half for his kidneys to start working." Wow. Yeah. And, and then I now mean, everything's perfect. Everything's which good. is like after the week and a half, it's like every day he just kept getting better and better. I'm like, Dad, why did you have to scare us like that? And then he comes out, of course, his first Wooing. his oh. first public thing is a plug. Let me for tell the you a little store. story, right? Yeah. So uh when he first, you know, was taken off uh the breathing machine and the doctors wanted to have him walk around, uh obviously he needed help and mm-hmm. support. But um, he didn't even know who I was. Like, he was still in ICU delirium is what they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just pushing the walker in Which, ICU. by the way, is terrifying because at a certain age, like, when you go but in They for had surgery, to rule out that it wasn't a stroke or brain right. damage or okay. anything. And we're like, why does he not know who I am? Right. But he was quoting numbers from towns, The <laughs> what the numbers were at houses <laughs> from the 80s. I'm like, that's great. He can give you the house in Chicago in 1980, whatever, but he doesn't know who I am. Wow. Just it was like- just, I, I just sit there and like, listen to him like talking the numbers. I'm just like, this is crazy. Um, but so he's pushing the walker <laughs> with the nurses and the doctor, uh-huh. pushing, pushing, and just literally stops and starts strutting. No. In the ICU. <laughs> Doesn't know who I am. No. Isn't really talking, but, but just re- does the little strut in the ICU in his gown. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> this is not real. And then I'm like, Dad. And he's just looking at me like, 1980 Chicago. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> 300 at the gate or whatever. That's, that's right. And it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the Ric Flair. that. The... And so when, when it's 30 for 30 comes out yes. in November, um, you'll know that like professional wrestling is my dad's first love. And that's right. what he lived for. And that's what you're, the, your whole family just has to deal with that. Yep. And just realize that. And, yeah. And, and I, that's why I think there. we're so, you know, me and my dad are so close because now I'm in the industry that he loves so much. So I under, I understand. Right. I get it. I get wanting to be the main event every night. I get, you know, me and Sasha wrestled how many times for those months and I didn't want it to end because it just got better. And better. Like, I get it. Right. Like. And it's impossible to it's really impossible. get until you do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the Kim, everything. I get it. Yeah. That click that that, that comes yeah. along with everything. Or like, it really was. It really was funny though that the first thing that he tweeted out publicly was uh, a link to his merch store. To be like, you can buy the. I'm alive, and you can buy the T-shirt. And I was like, oh, only Ric Flair could get away with. It. Everybody else would be like, it would be distasteful. But when the Nature Boy does it, it's like, all right, he's back. I might pass on this shirt, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little more PG in my uh, branding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh did you know Bobby Heenan at all as like I a did. little girl? I, I did. Yeah. yeah. And so did it's that sad. one that one hit you hard too? I don't want to say I'm desensitized. Yeah. But I just know every time I see my I, it hits my dad cuz I think my dad's like why am I here? Why did he make it and other people didn't? Yeah. I think it's hard on my dad. Do you think that that because he's saying now that he's never going to drink again and that this is going to be a new step in his life and more of a motivational speaker type person. Do you think that that he's going to be able to live that life? Walk the walk, walk as it were? Walk the walk. I just hope – I just don't want him to – It's so. it's very hard to say you're never going to do something again. Right. Um, but – I do know that when I've I've had a lot of alone time with my dad uh, in the hospital, this scared him. And I, you know, had a heart-to-heart with him. I was like, Dad, you know, you needed to slow down. Right. And I know that you are the Energizer Bunny, but you were on the road for 40 years. Just slow down and enjoy us. Yeah. And um, I think that really hit home to him that and also too that like we want him around it's good lessons for you to learn too right like because because you can't always see when you're in it but you can look at him and see that if he were to stop everything right now nobody could ever take his career away from him like it's there it's cemented but that's what he, i think he needs to that's what it do took. you realize that though like when when looking at your career like and of course you're much younger but say you know 10 15 years down the road whatever are you going to be able to say well i know from watching him that I can slow down. I can stop. I don't need to be proving to people every single Well, I hope that day. proving to people goes away. Right. But, uh, you know, I've – I have just learned a lot watching, you know, or seeing where my mom and dad struggles. Mm-hmm. And I just know – that I made an executive choice when I started wrestling. I got out of my 20s and I just want to keep, you know, growing as an individual. So I in 15 years, you know, when it's time to walk away, I will have been smart. I will have, you know, set up a future. I will have done XYZ. Yeah. Well, I mean that that's 
that that is right because that that's what you want to do is to be able to the lessons that you're like yeah. why can't you see this make sure that you take them in for yourself yep so that you can you can kind of grow from there and everything yeah are you uh are you uh back to wrestling are you looking at anybody from the uh may young classic were you aware of it at all or were you so... i sat there every match right. i didn't miss a match so who do you who do you look at in that tournament as like this is a person that needs to needs to be up with us this is a person that that can do amazing things with us cuz that's part of the women's revolution so, right is that it keeps moving well as a baby face i really want to face alpha <laughs> so but no i think there was a um a few women um i'm going to start with piper mhm i really liked her i just had fun watching her the way she moves her her energy um Dakota? Yes. Wow. Just her natural spunk. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't I mean that's just who she is. Um uh Tessa Blanchard mm-hmm. has come I saw her try out uh at the performance center 2 years ago, mm-hmm. night and day. And how poetic. And the way she held herself. And do you, as a as a as a as a as a wrestler, as somebody who values the storytelling now, do you now see like if she can get herself yes. to a certain level, a Charlotte Flair, Tessa Blanchard match yep. team, whatever it is, is like too it's poetic for enough. words. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, absolutely. And I'm not even looking at her from a generational standpoint. Mm-hmm. I just watching her grow and the from the the tryout. Like, right. This is a different person. Right. Um. Obviously, I love. Uh, I, I say her name wrong, Kyrie. Yeah. Gosh, I, she's just fun. I've never seen I'm, that. I don't even care about her entrance or the yeah. pyre. Just, she's just a fun wrestler. She's aggressive. And I can't believe that anybody's done something new with the elbow drop. And After the, all how this her body, time, like... I still don't... Yeah. I can't figure it out. It, it do, But it doesn't even remind me of the Macho Man elbow drop. No, it doesn't. It's not even remotely... Yeah. Um, I, who, There's others that I also... Um, um, she kind of reminds me, so she doesn't wrestle like Becky, but she's got this like natural, um, she is in NXT though. I can't, uh, is it, uh, she has long hair. She kind of wears like a fur vest, not Rachel Elring, but her Sarah, some, uh, I'm sure I'm blanking on the name. I'm too, blanking but, on the name. But yeah, I'm sure everybody listening to this is like screaming at it. At God, their, what is her name? At their at their uh, long right hair, now. naturally beautiful. God, what is her name? What is it? Lacey. No, not Lacey. Um, well, we'll, well, I can't think. Uh, she did a hardcore gimmick before NXT. Does that help? I see, I, I know who you're talking about. But I'm blanking. You know who I'm talking too. about? Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I'll, I'll. I really liked her. She just. I don't just had natural likability. Are you going to stop uh, doing that moonsault to the outside? Because I know everybody has come to you and said, like, that is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. I haven't done it in a while. I don't know. <laughs> just keep scaring <laughs> know. people. Well, listen, Charlotte, I got to let you go. Okay. You got so much press to do for this book. It really is an outstanding book. Everybody should pick it up. Um, Second Nature. It's like so personal and real and real life and it's like it's it's just well told you get like the perspective of rick and and ending his career and his last match and then your perspective of the same thing it's just like 
it's, Sam. It, it's well told and it's really thank cool you. and uh, and I'm happy for you. <laughs> it's weird. It's great. <laughs> I don't even know. How to, thank you. It's great. Thank I appreciate you. it so much. And I'll Thanks, uh, Sam. I'll talk to you soon. Here is Sam Roberts. And that was Charlotte. Thanks again for doing the show, Charlotte. She's always so good, and it's so fun to watch her evolve. You know, it's so fun to watch her come from somebody who was starting out in NXT and then coming onto the main roster. And Jess, I don't think that's going to be something that she goes down in history for. She may have adapted to professional wrestling better and more naturally than just about anybody. Maybe Kurt Angle. I would say Charlotte and Kurt Angle are the conversation of people who just, like a fish to water, amazingly adapted to this world of pro wrestling. And and the minute that we saw them, it was as if they'd been doing it all their lives. Uh, If you want to get a copy of Second Nature, you should order one anyway. You should just buy one to support Charlotte. But uh, they're giving me a couple signed copies to give away. So here's what I'm going to do. You always hear on podcasts how important it is to leave a rating, leave a review, etc. Of course it is. It's true. That's why people say it. It's, uh, it's, it's just good for visibility. It's very, very strange, but it is. It's true. So this is what I'm going to do. If you guys want a signed copy by Ric Flair and Charlotte uh, of Second Nature, go to iTunes and leave a review for this podcast. Go to iTunes. I'll leave it open until next week's podcast. Next week on the podcast, I will announce who the two winners are. So at any point this week, go on iTunes, leave a review for the podcast, a positive review preferably. If it's negative, it probably won't win. A positive review with five stars. I will go through the reviews that were posted on iTunes this week. I will pick two winners. Those two winners, will uh, I'll get in contact with them on Twitter or over email and we'll announce them on the show, and they will get copies of Second Nature signed by both Charlotte and Ric Flair. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to send those books out. So get on iTunes and leave a review, and I will give a couple of people books. All right? Speaking of uh, merch, can we just say for a second, this isn't technically a state of wrestling story, so I'll talk about it right here. Am I out of my mind to think that I deserve some credit for what Mattel is doing with Virgil. Did you guys see this? It happened at the end of last week, but it was after we had posted the podcast already, but I posted it on my social media. Mattel announces that they're doing this Toys R Us exclusive version of Virgil. Mattel is coming out with a Virgil action figure exclusive to Toys R Us, which is weird in and of itself. I don't know, of all the characters that have been involved in WWE, why, like, Toys R Us is being like, oh, not only do we want a Virgil, but we want to make sure they can only get that at Toys R Us. You know, I heard Toys R Us was going bankrupt, but then I realized the Virgil figure was only available there, so I had to get it. It brought us into the black. It brought us back to making money. Thank God for Virgil. What kind of money? Well, you know exactly what kind of money it is with Virgil. And the reason that you know what kind of money it is with Virgil is because of what I've done with him, I think. At least in part, you know, creating the Lonely Virgil blog with the photos and everything. And I didn't take all the photos. I'm not taking credit for taking all the photos. But certainly, I made it more meme than it was. I believe meme is the word. It, when it, if something becomes a meme, it is a certain degree of meme And I, 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 I had a lot to do with that, I would think. But, the, okay, so, so they're putting out this Virgil figure. And the accessory 
that is being packaged with the Virgil figure is not the million dollar championship. It's not tassels for his boots. It's not an NWO t-shirt so you can turn Virgil into Vincent. It's none of those things. It's not even a bowl of, of, of meat sauce. An Olive Garden gift card? No. No. It's the banner that he now hangs behind himself at these autograph signings that nobody goes to that says Virgil Wrestling Superstar. They're literally making an action figure of the meme. They're making a toy of the meme. And I'm, I'm going, okay, come on. I can't get a little bit of credit for that. I don't need anything. Just a little tip of the hat being like, Sam, thank you. Or I'm not sure if the word would be thank you. Maybe it would be like, you did this, Sam. Now you have to deal with it. And that's what it is. It's punishment. It's like, okay, Sam, you want to put the spotlight on this guy? Okay, well, guess what? We're going to turn it up a couple notches, and now you're really going to have to deal with him. Because, oh, boy, am I. Oh, boy, oh, boy. But congratulations to Virgil. Congratulations. Uh, uh, the, the career of Virgil is being immortalized in plastic, and it's going to come with this ridiculous sign that he puts behind him in autograph sessions. It's really, really funny that it's even getting made, so I, I, I can't complain about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Toys R Us and buy probably two of them when they come out. I bought the Isaac Yankum. Toys R Us is doing really weird things with uh, pro wrestling action figures. For those of you that collect them, I went to Toys R Us the other day, and there was an Isaac Yankum action figure. Not Kane. I'm not being cute like it was Kane, but, you know, Kane was actually, no. It was Isaac Yankum. He had a dentist shirt on. He had the thing on his head, like the, the dentist hat or whatever, the mask thing, whatever. It was Isaac Yankum with his blue pants and everything. I never in my life thought there would be an Isaac Yankum action figure. Now, and again, I think it's a Toys R Us exclusive. So I don't know if the people running Toys R Us are just like uh, total wrestling nerds for like early 90s WWF or something. But, or maybe they were like, oh, maybe one of their kids. They were like, show me who's popular in wrestling right now. And they just had some bootleg DVDs of like Wrestling Challenge from 1993. And he was like, oh, we got to get some of these guys. We got to get some of these personalities. We don't, you mean they're not on our shelves yet? We got to call Mattel. I don't know. I would love to interview Mattel to find out what the, uh, what the thinking is. What the thinking is behind some of these exclusive action figures that they make. I'm not criticizing it. I have an Isaac Yankum. I will have a Virgil. Um, but I just think it's funny. All right. Speaking of funny, we got a lot to talk about in the state of wrestling. Uh, the Bullet Club made a, a pretty big impact, I would say, this week. You know, coming off of Raw, there was stuff that happened on Raw for sure. But my friends that came up to me, I was in L.A. on Monday, so their Raw goes off at 8 o'clock because it's three hours ahead instead of 11 o'clock or whatever. So I hadn't watched Raw. It was on the DVR because I was going to watch it when I got back to the hotel or whatever or, or the Hulu or whatever. So I hadn't watched Raw yet. My friends come up to me who I'm hanging out with, and they're like, oh, did you see what happened on Raw tonight? And I'm like, nah, I'm going to watch it when I get back. And instead of talking about Raw, they were talking about, they were like, well, you know, the Bullet Club. And I was like, what? At first, I thought the Bullet Club actually, the, the Young Bucks and all them actually made it onto Monday Night Raw. Um, and it wasn't just an internet thing. But we'll talk about that. Talk about being a part of, of No Mercy, not No Way Out, as I said 150,000 times last week on the podcast. That was embarrassing. If I'd said it once, I probably would have just gone back and tried to edit it. But I said it many, many times. It really really was cringeworthy. It's just, I can't believe I went through the No Mercy kickoff show without saying No Way Out. I'm very proud of myself. But uh, 
Yeah, so we'll talk about that. The goings-on of Raw and SmackDown, James Ellsworth on a leash. Let's get into it. State of Wrestling time. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. All right, State of Wrestling, and a question that I was getting a lot on Twitter. Few people reached out to me and they said, I guess it's not a question, but Sam, please make me feel better about No Mercy. And I'm not going to say I was surprised by that, um, but it was really, really interesting because No Mercy was a very mixed reaction show. And it it did surprise me that the reactions were as mixed as they were, but I kind of think I know why. There was... Going into new, no, no Mercy, I was very happy to be doing the kickoff show. And I really want to thank, as I always do, all the amazing people at WWE for letting me do a show like that. And, you know, I say it all the time, but every time I do those shows, I just get blown away at, at the production staff that is putting those shows on. I mean, the detail. The, go, the reason that whether you're happy with the creative direction of the company or not, the reason that the show always looks as good as it does, the reason why it always has a flow to it, the reason why you know it, it always comes off as professionally as it does and as tight and together as it does, is because there's this amazing staff. You know, it, it really is incredible to watch. You hear about Vince McMahon being a perfectionist, but it's not Vince McMahon being a perfectionist. I have not met one person in my time with WWE over the last year or so that is not a perfectionist. Like, they're, they're all, everybody involved is, the communication is amazing because everybody that's involved knows what, what direction they're going, like, what's being done today and how to do it and can instruct people on how to do it. And it's, it's, it's something that you can't take for granted. You know, I work for, for Sirius. I've worked for other big companies. Uh, and I know a lot of pe- other people that have, have worked for big companies as well. And finding ways to communicate to everybody so that everybody's on the same page and then getting everybody on a similar motivational track is a very difficult thing to do. So the fact that that can be done on literally a daily basis for a company as big as the WWE is really remarkable. Um, so my hat goes off to all those people. I, I just, and I'll, I'll, I, that is probably the most valuable thing about, about getting to do shows with WWE is just kind of watching and learning how the machine operates. Cause it's really, it's great and it's effective and, and it comes down to smart and talented people. So, uh, there was though, when we were talking about, I was happy to do the no mercy show specifically because all this talk about WrestleMania caliber matches and this is going to be a huge show and this changes everything and this match is so important and we've been waiting forever to see that match. It was all true. It wasn't hyperbole. It was all how I felt. It was how people felt. When I spoke for the WWE Universe saying, like, we can't believe that Braun Strowman versus Brock Lesnar is already happening, I felt it. And... The people around me felt it. You know, it, it was it was real. And when I said, we don't know if Brock Lesnar is going to win this match, and we usually do know that Brock Lesnar is going to win this match, it was real. And, and you felt this, and you felt that vibe throughout the building. Everybody knew at the show that this was a special show. I do think that 
it fell victim to that thing of not being able to live up to its own hype. I do think that people had had blown this pay-per-view up in their heads to such an extent that it was, for some, impossible to deliver on that level. Um, as far as stuff that uh, I was either confused or didn't love, I, I wasn't a fan of the ending to the Braun Strowman-Brock Lesnar match. Um, I, I think it was designed to be very much like the Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar match in the sense that it makes Samoa Joe look stronger uh, but Brock Lesnar still gets to win it didn't make Braun Strowman look any weaker but I don't think it did anything for him you know I didn't I because because we had established in the weeks leading up to the pay-per-view that Braun Strowman was able to manhandle Brock Lesnar so that's not news coming out of the pay-per-view it adds credibility to the F5 as a finisher, um, it adds credibility to the fact that Brock Lesnar is never truly beaten. But I, I didn't think that the, the match ended up doing a ton for Braun Strowman. I thought that like his victory over Dean Ambrose on Raw right after No Mercy, that did more for Braun Strowman than, than the Brock Lesnar match ended up doing. Um, the Roman Reigns-John Cena match. So I, I guess I'll, I was in the same boat as a lot of people in the sense that none of us quite knew what to expect out of those two in that match with the audience being what we knew it would be. Um, and I think it was a pretty good match. It wasn't Roman Reigns' best match. It wasn't John Cena's best match. But it was still a good match, and it told a story. And I, for one, I actually really liked the ending. I liked the moment with John Cena. I don't think that John Cena is retiring personally. I think that he's probably going to just slow down. You know, I think he'll probably just be taking more breaks to do movies and things like that. But, you know, he says he's 40 and he's been going for 15 years. And while that's true, John Cena's got a lot of gas in that tank. You know, he, he's showing, he, he is not showing signs of slowing down. And we're learning now that with the way guys take care of themselves, somehow, you know, you look at AJ Styles, you look at a lot of guys, and 40 is not this sort of death number in the career world of wrestling anymore. 40 is not this number where it's like, well, you can't be wrestling anymore. You're 40. Like, it's kind of amazing that Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and those guys were in their early 40s, I believe, when they went to WCW, and they were being portrayed as like these old guys being sent out to pasture, but now you look at current day WWE and they're 40 is the new 30, right? It's really, really interesting, I find. But I don't think John's done. But what I do think is that Roman Reigns, a story is being told about Roman Reigns. The story being told is that he is either being given or taking the torch, however you want to see it. I think more people probably see it as him being given the torch. But the story will probably be told that he is taking the torch. Either way, it's kind of, you know, uh, uh, regardless. You've got the John Cena moment now coupled with the Undertaker moment. Uh, it seems like they are, are building this Roman Reigns story to eventually lead up to Roman being the guy who beats Brock Lesnar. He retires the Undertaker, quote-unquote. He retires John Cena, quote-unquote. I don't know what he's going to do between now and March. I hope he doesn't retire The Miz because The Miz is amazing. But he'll probably have one more big moment 
on the way to on the way to what will probably be WrestleMania, right? He'll probably have one more big moment where he beats somebody and then he'll finally get the shot at Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I would hope that a SmackDown guy wins the Royal Rumble this year. I don't think Roman Reigns winning the Royal Rumble would be a great decision because I do think that this story is going to build all the way to WrestleMania. That kind of hit me all when I watched uh, John Cena say goodbye to the audience in a similar way that The Undertaker say goodbye to the audience in the sense that the character was saying goodbye in character without actually saying goodbye. You know, it was almost like even if these guys wrestle again, they have symbolically given the torch. The Undertaker putting his stuff down in the ring and walking out. Maybe he wasn't saying that was his last match. Maybe he was just saying, okay, I was the man. Now Roman is the man. You know, John Cena saying goodbye. He's saying, you know what? I was the poster boy. Now Roman Reigns is the poster boy. And maybe there'll be one more moment like that between now and March before Roman Reigns gets to WrestleMania um, to, to face Brock Lesnar. I wouldn't mind. I, it might be kind of poetic. Maybe, uh, maybe at Survivor or at Royal Rumble to do a Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, Shield triple threat match, where all three of them and and you don't even have to have this big feud, but like you could have this thing where Seth Rollins says, "Look, Roman, like I'm the guy, not you. I'm the architect. I built the Shield." And Ambrose going like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to when the Shield first started. Who was the guy that the fans all said was going to be the man in that group? And then Roman says, well, it's my yard, boys. What do you want to do about this? And maybe that's your moment. Maybe he's got the, he's got the approval from The Undertaker. He's got the approval from John Cena. And maybe Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins both need to uh, say, all right, Roman, you did it. Because I don't know, I don't know if there's another guy to to pass a torch, because I don't know who else is ready to retire. You know, Chris Jericho is already past that point in the sense that he's here, gone, here, gone, here, gone. So I don't know who else would pass a torch per se. But you, it, it, that is a, that is a moment where you've got now you've got Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose being he's the man. Yep. He's the man because those are arguably, like on Raw, the top three good guys, quote-unquote, because in my mind, Braun Strowman is a good guy. Samoa Joe could be at any moment. You know, there's lots of stuff going on there. So that's probably the position that I would put Roman Reigns in at the Royal Rumble is have him beat Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose to get him to WrestleMania and not put him in the Royal Rumble at all, not put any of those three guys in the Royal Rumble and then have maybe... Maybe AJ Styles wins the Royal Rumble, you know, because then you've got a guy who people will be excited about seeing the win the Royal Rumble. And even if people aren't going to be super pumped about Roman Reigns beating the Shield members, they'll at least be excited about the fact that they're seeing the Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins match. So I, I think that that would be a cool Royal Rumble moment. And then from there, Brock Lesnar is the guy that Roman Reigns could never beat. Brock Lesnar's pinned Roman Reigns. Now we lead into WrestleMania where you will undoubtedly have that moment at the end of the night where Roman Reigns once again holds his hands up high as he beats Brock Lesnar for his first Universal Championship. Now, 
The reason why we really have to look at that is because, and, and I said on Twitter that I like the story that's being told because I do like the story that's being told because I like long-term stories. I like stories that are being played out over the course of a year. I've talked about it before. I like when all the micro stories are actually telling one big macro story. When all the things that we're looking at, all the storylines that we're looking at over the course of six months, those all end up being trees of one bigger forest that we didn't even see being grown in front of our eyes. Does that make sense? That's what I like to see. And that's what I felt when John Cena gave the salute and waved goodbye at the end of the match. I said this story, this match is now a continuation from the Undertaker match at WrestleMania. Even though they, they mentioned The Undertaker in, in the build-up to this match, it was more just to add credibility to Roman Reigns' resume. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, well, first he beat The Undertaker, now he's going to beat John Cena. Like it wasn't, it wasn't correlated that way, I don't think. So I thought it was cool that you turn around and now that's, that's, that's what you've got. You've got a guy who's going out there and he's retiring – the legends, and he's making room for everybody. And on some level, that's a good thing. You know, whether you think Roman Reigns is the right guy or not, it's nice to see guys get cleared out and have young guys step up. The reason why I am optimistic about this story, because I think at the end of the day, that's what people want to know. If there's a thing in the pit of their stomach, they're going, look, I know we just saw a pay-per-view where we had Braun Strowman versus Brock Lesnar. I know we just saw John Cena versus Roman Reigns. I'm going to get into the tag match, trust me on that, because that was the match of the night. But I think the pit in people's stomachs coming out of No Mercy was, wait a minute, as, a, as cool as that night was, as cool as that pay-per-view was on paper, this still leads anybody who's like a, a wrestling fan that thinks about things in terms of where they're going would have to believe, as I kind of would think, that this, in my head, is leading to a Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match at WrestleMania. And it's almost like people started to get wind that that might be happening as early as, you know, a couple days after last year. So you go into a match like this, and you're like, I don't know. Maybe John Cena will beat Roman Reigns. I don't know if Brock Lesnar is going to keep the Universal Championship. And you're like, maybe that's not happening this year at WrestleMania. And, and you come out of this and you're like, oh, we're kind of in the same place that we were. We're still on that road. Now, for me, I'm not getting too hung up on, on that. Because, you know, the idea of Roman Reigns being very successful, at this point it kind of is what it is. And I'm not mad about it. But I, I, I like, because it's long-term and because it's at least poetic, if unnecessary, I like the Roman Reigns buildup that's happening right now. You know, I, I'm not saying that Roman Reigns is the perfect person for it, but I like the idea of retiring The Undertaker and then retiring John Cena and then doing the Shield thing and then going to WrestleMania. Like, it's at least a story I can sink my teeth into. Now... The reason why there's a lot of pessimism, I think, is because nobody's thinking past WrestleMania. Because at this point, if you want to be optimistic, you've got to think past WrestleMania. You've got 
this thing where it looks like this year, WrestleMania 33 to WrestleMania 34, that year is going to be about cementing Roman Reigns as the guy, is going to be about solidifying this as his yard. You got a couple of things that could happen. Number one, you could have a scenario where after a few years, Roman Reigns is in more of a John Cena situation where he's been around, he's credible, we can count on him for doing good matches, and even when he gets booed, it's almost like we're just doing it because we do it and we love him. John Cena doesn't actually get booed. John Cena's boos are not real boos. Roman Reigns' boos right now are real boos. But at one point, John Cena's boos were real boos. At one point, John Cena was getting booed out of the building legit. Sometimes, yeah, boos. Same with Roman. Sometimes, yeah, boos. But right now, Roman's not getting yeah, booed. He's getting booed. And John Cena is getting the we love you boos. John Cena did not always get the we love you boos. John Cena got yeah, boos at one point. And John Cena got boos. So we could, over the course of years see Roman Reigns moving into this position where he's getting I love you boos. That could happen. And that's okay. The I love you boos I think are okay. I don't mind those. What else could happen is after WrestleMania, who knows what this place looks like. I don't see a scenario where Braun Strowman is not a universal champion. And I don't really see a scenario where Braun Strowman is not a good guy. I would not be the least bit surprised if Braun Strowman is this guy that nobody saw coming. I would not be surprised, as long as he doesn't get injured, if Braun Strowman ends up being this guy that goes, you know what? You know, we're still going to... We're never going to not treat Roman like the man. He's always going to be at a certain place on the pedestal. But Braun Strowman might be our guy. I could see that happening. I could easily see going into a WWE post-WrestleMania. And that's what, because after Roman Reigns gets truly crowned the man, because that's what we're on the road to, is Roman Reigns getting truly beyond a shadow of a doubt crowned the man. When he's champion, when he's when he has taken his place at the top of the mountain. And I think that's going to happen in March, personally. Once that happens, heavy is the head, my friend. Once that happens, he's got to maintain his position in that throne as the man. And I would not be surprised if... Because that's the moment, right? That, that Everything after he gets crowned the man, truly, is when we find out for sure if the Roman experiment worked or not. You know, you could talk about it now. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And sure, sure. But right now, that's, that's kind of speculation. We find out if the Roman experiment worked after he's crowned the man, after he's champion, and there's nobody above him because that's, what's, that's what we're building towards. A world where Roman is not only the champion, but there is absolutely nobody placed above him. And it's an intimidating place to be. It's a scary spot to be in for Roman 
because that's, that's, that's a lot to put on your shoulders. But that's the story that's being built right now. That's the, that's the superstar that we're seeing be built in front of our eyes. Once he is done being built, and he will be sooner than later, once, that, once this process is done, then, then we find out if the Roman experiment worked or not. And there is this possibility that people admit, okay, it's not really working like I thought it would. It's not quite as good or, 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 you know, or ticket sales are down. I mean, they talked about it in the promos leading to the John Cena Roman Reigns thing. What if ticket sales go down? That's because, because, because that's when we find out if the Roman experiment worked or not is when we look at ticket sales is when we look at network subscriptions is when we look at t-shirt sales, action figure sales is when we look at money. When we look at money, if there is significantly less money coming in, then, you know, we got to do something else. Okay, the experiment didn't work. We haven't gotten there yet. We're getting there, though. And should that conclusion be reached, I guess the experiment didn't really work. I don't think we'll ever see a scenario where Roman Reigns gets, like, buried or jobbed out or whatever. But I do think that we'll reach a scenario where we're like, okay, well, if Roman isn't going to make that money, and by the way, Roman might. Roman might. I know that we're all of the same opinion, but the Roman experiment may very well work. We never thought about that. Like, what if the Roman experiment does work? It could. Very well. Very easily it could work. But if it doesn't work, if everybody that's criticizing Roman is right, then the proof is going to be in the pudding. And when that happens, you've got amazing people that could be taking that spot. When that happens, you've got Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe, Braun Strowman. That's when we find out. And, and, and I'm interested in seeing this all play out. I'm interested in it. I'm hooked. I like it. You know, and, and it's real life because it, it is, it is where, where real life and, and storytelling mix. So it's cool, you know. And I think that uh, I think we're going to see a lot next week with the Braun Strowman-Seth Rollins match. I think on some level, Seth Rollins, you know, we, you heard him on the podcast a few weeks ago when we were live from Caroline's. He's a smart guy. He's a wrestling fan, and he's a student of pro wrestling. Seth Rollins knows that Braun Strowman is a very important piece of the puzzle in terms of shaping what the WWE looks like in a post-John Cena, post-Undertaker world. Braun Strowman is a very important part of that. So what is Seth Rollins going to do? He's going to show up. Seth Rollins is going to try to have the best Braun Strowman match that anybody has had, I think, so that people can look at Seth Rollins and be like, okay, all right, we got to keep that in mind. I think that, and I'm, I'm super excited to see that one. I got pumped on Raw when they announced that that was happening next week. I think that the turning point for Braun Strowman, it's, I, I, it's going to happen. It's the match that I said should have happened at WrestleMania last year, or this year, I guess, at WrestleMania 33. It's the match that I said should have happened but didn't. It hasn't gone all the way. We are going to see a Samoa Joe versus Braun Strowman program, storyline, match. And when that happens, Samoa Joe is going to be the bad guy. Braun Strowman is going to be the good guy. And that feud, that rivalry is going to make Braun Strowman as a good guy. That rivalry will 
create the Braun Strowman that becomes like, yep, there's the guy. I think. I think it's going to be Braun Strowman versus Samoa Joe. Braun Strowman clearly being a good guy that, that, win, that wins him everything. I believe. And I think Braun Strowman... And, and, you know, something that I think people should at least give some kind of credence to is everybody talks about... Everybody, I think, is in agreement that Braun Strowman is much better now than he was when he first started. That... Well, obviously, than when he first started. But if you remember WrestleMania 32, the rumor was that it was going to be Braun Strowman versus The Undertaker. And that was like Wyatt Braun Strowman. And people were like, no. Oh, my God. That sounds terrible. Now? Oh, my God. Everybody would be losing their minds because Braun Strowman has gotten so much better. Now, how does one get better? Practice. That's generally what makes perfect, right? And your dance partner is important. Who has Braun Strowman been having matches with night after night after night after night on on the live events, on pay-per-views, on TV, uh, everywhere? Who has Braun Strowman been having matches with as his skill has increased so much? The answer is Roman Reigns. There's something to that. I'm not giving Roman Reigns full credit for everything, but there is something to that, okay? Before we completely just, like, throw Roman under a bus, we do have to acknowledge that that is a thing, and it is a fact. Um, let's talk about the tag team match at No Mercy because it was just incredible. I, 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 I love all four guys involved and where they're at right now because all four guys were in a place where you look at them and especially, you know, Sheamus always had a little bit of that Roman Reigns stigma on him in the sense that he was a big muscle guy that we didn't know about as an internet wrestling community. We didn't know about before he showed up in WWE and he got pushed hard quick. You know, he was in the triple H matches. He had the championship right away. Like he, he, he was, he was flung right to the moon. And I think a lot of people uh, rebelled against that, but you got to a scenario where Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins were kind of uh, caught in purgatory in terms of their characters. Cesaro was in Cesaro land in the sense that, like, everybody acknowledges that he is amazing and there's nothing being done. And, you know, Sheamus was Sheamus. Like, he'd completely changed his look. He was putting in all this effort, having these hard-hitting matches and everything, but it was just not... All four guys were not necessarily connecting. And when you watch those four guys now, it's so cool to see Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins completely rejuvenated from being a team. Like, those characters are now, they, this is the rejuvenation so that when they split up, they're going to go right back to being exciting main event guys. And Cesaro and Sheamus as a team, as the bar, are like on a career high right now. And they proved why in that match on on Sunday night. The only thing that was was a little different and you couldn't have predicted it really was that because Cesaro got his teeth shoved up into his gums that's what happened Cesaro smashes his face on the corner post it hits him in the two front teeth they got knocked sideways so that the ends of the teeth were sticking out so that the 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 part in the middle was sticking in you know like so they're diagonal and then the teeth got shoved up like four millimeters or something they said on the website got shoved up into his gums 
I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. And then to watch this guy, after his teeth got pushed into his skull, do another 10, 15 minutes in the ring, oh, incredible. And not only do another 10, 15 minutes in the ring, but have the best match on the show. Really, really, really good stuff. Hats off to all all four of those guys, because it, it was it was the match of the night. And the, again, the only thing that was wonky was that after that Cesaro teeth spot, because he fought so hard, even though we all knew what was going on with his mouth, it was almost like we wanted them to win. Like he started to become a good guy because of how how amazingly hard he was fighting. Just interesting. Just very, very interesting. Um, uh, Enzo is speaking of interesting. Really weird. What's going on with Enzo? So he wins the cruiserweight title, as I predicted he would on the kickoff show, at no mercy. Um, but he does it by by kicking Neville in the dick. He kicked him in the dick. And, and you remember years ago when The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar were having their series of matches and The Undertaker kicked Brock Lesnar in the dick, I informed Katie Linendahl that that's a bad guy thing to do. No good guy kicks another man in the dick. It's just not, it's not a good thing to do. It's not good. He, he, and that's what... That's what Enzo did. So I'm going like, oh. Then he comes out. It's really, the reason it's weird is because Enzo, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's turning heel. That's Enzo being a heel. He's turning heel because he's saying he's better than everybody. And that's true. But then, like, you watch him get jumped by 20 people. And that's not normally something that happens to a heel. That's something that you do to, to, so, so that somebody can garner sympathy. Heels have, like, stables with them. That's why The Miz has The Miz-tourage. That's why Rusev has Aiden English now and the mayor of Bulgaria, whoever that guy was. You know, like, like, like bad guys have, have bad people around them to help them out. A, a coward needs to have, you know, look at the Chris Jericho-Kevin Owens relationship. They were cowardly bad guys. They needed each other to, to get each other out of sticky situations. So to have Enzo get beat up by the entire, well, everybody should go online to the WWE's YouTube channel and see what happened after Raw went off the air, because Neville kicks the crap out of out of uh, 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 Enzo at the end of the show, and then after the show went off the air for no reason, Braun Strowman comes out once again, as he's done in the past, and kicks the crap out of. Out of poor Enzo. And then the entire 205 Live roster jumps him. And they all spin him around. And they all do their finishers on him. And they all they, they, everybody just destroys him. And uh, I just, I, I think it's weird. I think it's funny. You know, just because it's so odd. And it almost feels like, you know, that, like they're just people that want to see Enzo get his ass kicked. And I think that that's funny if that's the motivation behind some of this stuff. But it's not traditional good guy, bad guy thinking, you know, which is funny. But it's almost like I start to wonder because the smart mark in all of us goes, well, the reason this is happening is because Enzo's got heat. He's got nuclear heat. There's nuclear heat on this guy. Do you mean nuclear heat? Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Nuclear heat. Right? Whatever that means. 
Has anybody outside of wrestling ever had nuclear heat on them? Is that something that a person can do in their life, or is it just in wrestling? Um, but, you know, you, you'd think that if he had nuclear heat, he wouldn't be at the end of Raw. He wouldn't be given the Cruiserweight Championship. Like, some of that stuff wouldn't happen, right? So it's almost like I wonder how much of his heat is legitimate nuclear heat and how much of it is like there were some of the guys in the locker room that thought he was annoying and then the internet started going crazy with his heat and then the boys worked themselves into a shoot, as is said in wrestling. Like was was some of this Enzo heat uh, built up because of what was being said on the internet? And they go like, oh, yeah, everybody hates Enzo. And, well, do they? Or does the internet just think everybody hates him? I don't know. Let's have uh, Braun Strowman kick his ass again. <laughs> and, I mean, like I said, I, I, I like Enzo as a guy. You know, I don't sense any of that uh, nuclear heat around him. But, I, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't know. But I do think it's funny. Like, just there's a character on TV that gets his ass kicked by Braun Strowman every week for no particular reason. It's funny. I also like that they're they're doing what I was talking about on the podcast a couple weeks ago, which is not doing the main event segment as the end of the 11 o'clock hour, or as the end of the 10 o'clock hour. They're doing it as the end of the 9 o'clock hour. So from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. is almost like a bonus hour. So I, I think that if they really get it right, it's going to make the show feel quicker, actually. If you get your Roman Reigns Miz segment to close out the second hour and then something totally different closes the third hour, it'll, I think, make people tune in longer because then the third hour becomes unpredictable and it'll make these uh, micro stories, these stories that are happening episodically, feel a little more or a little less watered down, right? A little more concentrated because we're not stretching them over three hours. We're stretching it over two hours, which I think is important. And then it's like, yeah, if you've got to turn it off, you got to, you know, you got to turn it off. You're not sitting there like, all right, I'm just turning it off and I don't even care what happens in the main event. Because if you're going to turn it off before the three hours are up, you're going to do it regardless. I got to go to bed. I got to do something. I can't watch three hours of this. So finish up those main event stories in two and then do something crazy in the third hour. I like that. I hope that, that The Miz is not just squashed next week by Roman Reigns. Because uh, The Miz is just so good. He's just so, so good. Speaking of people who are good, and speaking of, of people who were are, who are squashed by Braun Strowman, man, Kurt Hawkins' uh, uh, defeated streak, I should say. <laughs> Normally it's an undefeated streak, but this is a defeated streak, is one of the best stories on TV right now. It's so good, and Hawkins, go back and listen to the podcast. It's also on YouTube that I did with Kurt Hawkins. Uh, you can hear him. He talks about wanting to be the best at whatever he's doing. You know, I asked him about when he, when he wrestled at Madison Square Garden finally, and it's just to go out there and for James Ellsworth to superkick him and beat him one, two, three. I'm like, doesn't that bother you? It's all your friends and family around? He's like, No. You come out of Madison Square Garden and everybody's talking about it. But that's when James Ellsworth was on fire, by the way. Not when he was on a dog collar. Which is still, I mean, I think terrific. But I'll tell you what made that in a second. But I, I, I think Kurt Hawkins is playing his role perfectly. 
and I think uh, I, I, I think it really adds it. All of a sudden, it makes you excited about a match that is really just designed to get a certain talent over. Like, all we're trying to do is take a second to show how strong Braun Strowman is, but we're adding this entertainment X Factor, which is Kurt Hawkins. That's what he should start calling himself. The entertainment X Factor, Kurt Hawkins. Who's there to... I mean, if you don't believe that, I just... I get envious of Kurt Hawkins' confidence. Every time he touches a mic, I believe that he thinks he's going to win. He thinks he's the best wrestler in the locker room. How, if you're Kurt Hawkins, can you think you're the best? You lose all the time, nonstop. You lose, but somehow you still think you're the best. I would love to have that mentality that it just doesn't matter that I put this podcast up and I don't even, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. I get two downloads on it and I'm going to come back next week and be like, good news. We're the biggest wrestling podcast in the world. We're the best one. We get two downloads, (laughs) you know, like I, I would love that kind of confidence. Just that blind I don't know if it's blind narcissism. I don't know what it is. It probably makes it impossible for somebody to have a home life with a character who in reality acts like that, which is what I would do. But business-wise, it's, it's great. And it probably helps his, 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 uh, per, his psychology a lot. It makes, it, it makes it easier to go to bed at night. It makes it easier to go to sleep. You're not sitting there with self-doubt. Not Hawkins. No siree, Bob. I thought SmackDown was, uh, it was decent. I, I think they're going to have to pick things up a little bit as we get closer to Hell in a Cell, which if it was two weeks from Sunday, I believe next week is the go home to Hell in a Cell, which is interesting because No Way Out, I'm sorry, I swear to God, I'm going to stop saying that at some point, because No Mercy, it felt like the four weeks leading to it, all four episodes of Raw felt like go home shows. And I still feel like we're a month away from Hell in a Cell. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe it was a little rushed on SmackDown because, you know, it was weird. Like, you didn't have a reason for the Usos and the New Day to be in the Hell in a Cell. You just had the New Day saying, hey, let's do it in the Hell in a Cell, which I, I had a problem with Sasha Banks when she did that. When Sasha Banks was like, hey, I want to defend my title in the Hell in a Cell. Why would a champion, and this is for, goes for the New Day too, why would a champion ever want to defend their title in the Hell in a Cell? If I were a champion, I would want to defend my title in a match where countouts were two seconds long because I keep my title if it's a countout victory by anyone. Two second long countouts. That's what I would be going for. Not Hell in a Cell matches. I never want to defend a title in a Hell in a Cell. Seems so difficult. So I, I, I never like when champions suggest that. Like it makes sense for Shane McMahon. Because he wants to inflict pain and damage on him. But for New Day, who are really just looking to have a good time and win some matches, I don't know what their motivation is to get into a Hell in a Cell. Hopefully we'll find out next week. Because uh, I can't tell you off the top of my head why New Day would want to do that. Uh, I I think the AJ Baron Corbin match was a matter of time before it was announced. Um, But I think it worked. You know, works for me. I kind of enjoyed the Nakamura still photo turning into a video thing. And then we saw the entrance and everything. But, man, Nakamura, you know what I'd like to see? Nakamura could have legit become an MMA fighter. You know what I mean? He's a real tough guy. And that's what makes the rock star stuff so cool. That when he's this kind of showy, eccentric, rock star, Michael Jackson guy who can then, like, really kick your ass 
like an MMA fighter. That juxtaposition to me was always what made Nakamura awesome. So I'd like to hopefully he's got to kick Jinder's ass. Like Jinder has really ran his mouth about Nakamura. If I ran my mouth like that against somebody who had MMA skills, I would have been unconscious five times by now. I hope that Nakamura really, really kicks his ass because I think he's got to, to, to maintain his credibility a little bit. Maybe he'll win the championship. Who knows? Who can tell these days? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next week then. You know, I think the, the Natty Charlotte match has been built well. I'll say that. And what, to me, makes the Ellsworth leash thing, because it's interesting because they're not going to go sexual with that. Because that's not the era that we live in anymore. But I love clipping the leash to the turnbuckle. I think that is so funny and clever. It's like she clips him to the turnbuckle because that's what you would do when you like you tie up a dog on a on a on a parking meter while you go into the bodega. That's what she's doing to Ellsworth because Ellsworth gets into trouble when he's not being monitored. So you gotta clip him to the ring post. I think that's funny. I think that's really funny. Speaking of funny. How about uh, the BC, the Bullet Club, the Young Bucks, Cody Rhodes, Marty Skrull, Hangman Page? They all showed up to Monday Night Raw to kind of reenact the uh, the DX uh, invading WCW thing. Which, you know, if I'm WWE, I'm not overly thrilled by that because the reason the DX thing was so good is because WCW was not cool at the time. So, you know, I don't know what like that paints WWE in, but I wouldn't be overly excited about it if I were them. That said, um, yeah, I thought it was really well done. I love guys taking taking the bull by the horns, taking destiny into their own hands, and really doing something with it. And I think a lot of that footage was probably shot like outside the mall because they were doing a signing, all of them, at a Hot Topic there in Ontario because that's where they sell all the Bullet Club and Young Bucks t-shirts and stuff. So... I would imagine that a lot of the big group shot stuff was probably done in the parking lot at the mall and they got the people who showed up for the Bullet Club signing to stick around and be a part of this video. Um, but I, just the idea to reenact it, I just found it to be so clever and I thought it was very funny. Honestly, to me, the funniest part was Cody Rhodes doing the speech from Independence Day. It's just, that, to me, is genius. I want Every time something like that happens, I want to be like... You know, oh, they're just copying something else. Like, enough. I get it. You know, you're, this is meta wrestling, but come up with an original idea. Like, I want to be that pessimistic guy. But then you watch it, and it's like, it's so well done, and it's funny and entertaining. And if something is funny, and if something is entertaining, then I don't care how you feel about it conceptually. It works. Funny and entertaining is what you're going for. It's what they were going for. And it worked. You know, Cody Rhodes... It should be said, it's big news that he signed exclusively with Ring of Honor. Did you hear about that this week? Cody Rhodes signed an exclusive deal with Ring of Honor so that in North America, he will be an exclusive Ring of Honor talent. And that's not, it's not just because like, oh, that means he's really not coming back to WWE. Because I don't think anybody really thought that he necessarily was. It's a big deal because... I don't know what kind of deal Ring of Honor made with him, but Ring of Honor said it's a deal that lasts over the course of years. And it has to be a really sweet deal because Cody Rhodes said specifically, he said it on this podcast, go back and listen to it or look it up on YouTube. He said a couple months ago to me, 
that he had no desire to sign an exclusive deal. If you remember, if you listen to the podcast, he was considering doing another uh, list. Actually, I told him not to. Maybe I should get 10%. Maybe this is like the Virgil action figure. Maybe I should get 10% of his Ring of Honor deal because I told him not to make the list. He said, don't make another list. And he goes, okay, well, now I won't. And then since he didn't make another list, he was like, well, I got to do something. And he signed a long-term deal with Ring of Honor. Huh. Maybe I am responsible for a lot more than I give myself credit for. Or maybe I give myself a lot more credit than I deserve. However, it's big news that Cody Rhodes signed with Ring of Honor. It's a really good look for Ring of Honor. Because I think that that, that signing for Ring of Honor is it's important because Cody Rhodes is such a marketable talent. And I think he's going to be a really great representative for them. But it might even be more important because it's going to attract new, younger talent. When you've got guys like the Young Bucks, guys like Cody Rhodes, that are signing these exclusive deals, well, then it's going to make you, as a young guy, go like, well, if they're doing it, I want to be where they are. I'll sign the exclusive deal. Whereas if guys like that were making special deals for themselves, where they're like, no, I'm not going to sign anything exclusive, but... I'll, do, I'll, I'll work some shows. I'll do some spots. Well, that's going to make younger people think to themselves, well, then the goal is not to sign an exclusive deal. Ring of Honor wants guys to think to themselves, my goal is to sign an exclusive deal with that company. So when you've got a guy like Cody Rhodes doing it, it's going to influence younger people who are the people that Ring of Honor is, wants doing that. You know, so it, it, it's really good for Ring of Honor. I would imagine it's good for Cody, um, but it's great news for Ring of Honor. As long as they can afford it, and they don't end up going bankrupt because they're trying to pay the big, uh, they're trying to pay for all those Cody Rhodes wrestling boots. You know, he likes to change his boots a lot. Then I think it's a, I think it's a great deal. Hey, don't forget about the big live show, October twenty fourth at the Highline Ballroom. Bubba Ray Dudley, Bully Ray, also from Ring of Honor, another one who has a lot of credibility. And we'll talk to him about the Cody Rhodes thing. Bully Ray is going to be with me. If you want to hear uh, about all of this, you got to be at the Highline Ballroom. Get your tickets now at HighlineBallroom.com. Bully Ray is going to be there with me for the meet and greet as well. So if you get VIP tickets, you will get a chance to uh, meet me, meet Bully Ray, get some photos, talk wrestling. Then sit down, get the best seats in the house for the best live wrestling podcast that you're going to see anywhere. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast live at the Highline Ballroom, October 24th. Get tickets right now at HighlineBallroom.com. It's here in New York City, and we'll see you next week here Not in New York City, unless that's where you are, because Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is going to come to you. Not the live show, this podcast. The live show is going to be in New York City. This podcast will be on your phone. So listen to it next week. All right? All right. Goodbye. That's it. Thanks for listening. Follow at MilkSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.